The warrior understands the only place the field is level is heaven. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have the great Noah Ryan. Noah is a nomadic savage and biohacking genius wrapped up into one. One of the few that knows it, but also lives it. And he takes us down just how he does that on today's podcast. He tells us all about his training and how he respects his anatomy and the psychological components that go into this. How Noah went about controlling his biology through his inputs and outputs of his environment to create the life he wants. And all of the diets and supplementations that go behind this. This was a wicked podcast with a savage of a man, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF Nutrition and Lifestyle Guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Noah, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Austin, thank you for having me, my man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've been we've been uh, we've been ripping for ten minutes here, just talking about training, talking about sprinting. I just got out of a sprint session, and, and you're in Texas now. So, I want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into the world of I want to say fitness, but you're almost you're almost deeper in the rabbit holes than just fitness. Like, how did you get into this world, and how did you get to kind of where you're at right now? Yeah, dude. Honestly, I try to avoid the word fitness as much as possible because I was always into working out. Like that was that was my first love when I was like 13 years old super small. I just remember being pinned in wrestling. I remember being thrown around on the football team. And, but like, I avoid the word fitness because it's so myopic. Like when people think fitness, they think Instagram fitness influencer, right? You're doing curls, you're doing like shoulder press, you're just going off for the aesthetics. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. Like, it's not even a physical thing as much as it is a mental thing, like a cellular, like a health down to the cellular level. And uh, so I, I tend to avoid that, but um the way that I got into all of this was I just found that my biology was the thing that was most in my control. Like I grew up feeling like I was out of control and I hated that feeling. I hated the feeling of being small. I hated the feeling of not being as smart as I wanted to be, not being as confident as I wanted to be. So I just, it was a pragmatic thing. It's like, what is the thing that's most in my control? And it ended up being the inputs and outputs that I made with my body. And I think additionally, it enabled me to channel some of that energy and some of that frustration into something more physical. Uh, so I just kind of went down it and you know, I started working out. I was like 14 and, you know, it's a progression that I've been doing for like the last decade. What are some of those like early physical pursuits that once you started to get control of this, like 
inputs and outputs that you're like, okay, I'm going to funnel this into a physical pursuit. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up obsessed with martial arts. I grew up obsessed with like Japanese culture and like samurai culture in particular. I just always had like this dream and like this like primal feeling of like, I want to be like a legit warrior. Like I want to live by like a warrior code and all this stuff. And this is me as like a a small little child in Minnesota. Um, But like, I was really obsessed with it. So like my favorite movies were all like these old Japanese movies and like this idea of being like a warrior. So I honestly just started in my room um, just training like <laughs> shadow boxing and doing push-ups and pull-ups uh, because like it was just a way to channel that energy and it was um, looking back on it like it was just like it set that foundation you know and it was just something to do to be honest uh, you so you said you were from minnesota originally mm-hmm. where at minneapolis area okay that's where we're at currently right now oh no way yeah yep yep we're in the we're snowed in right now it's kind of a shit storm here but um yeah it's cold there that's why i left <laughs> yeah i was gonna say what uh so kind of where are we at now so we had this kind of warrior journey in the in that warrior mindset uh we got out of the cold which is my goal too we're in texas right now you're talking about living in mexico like where are we at now and, and kind of how did we get to where we're at now yeah. So, I mean, man, it's, it's such a long progression, but you know, a, a lot of the reason that like I got into this whole idea of, of focusing on my external outputs is because like I had struggles with, with, I guess, fixing and modulating my like internal state. Right. I was, I was extremely hyperactive as a kid and that just really didn't vibe with the environment that I was in. So I struggled there, you know, living in Minnesota, as you probably know, you don't get a lot of sun. You are like stuck inside a lot. And for me, I was very seasonally effective. So I'd go into bouts of depression. I'd be unhappy. I'd be sad. I'd be anxious. And I couldn't control that. And I just knew that really early on. So for me, it's like, I was probably pretty stubborn, but it's like, I need to craft an environment that I feel good. Like I I just wanted to feel good. I just wanted to feel happy when I woke up. And I knew a lot of that was, was biological. Right. And there's a lot of things that I could identify in my control. So, um, you know, it's a long progression. It's a long story, but I always knew that I wanted to live life on my own terms and I wanted to have freedom and mobility. That's what I valued most. Like when I was growing up, it was always my dream to move, you know, from place to place to move from like, when people are like, what would like, what would be your dream school, even in high school and in college? I'm like, honestly, like my dream school would be going to a different school every semester. Right. Like not because like new people, like I, I like that idea of community, but those new environments. And I just knew I was really driven by novel environments. And that's kind of just what I prioritized all throughout school, all throughout college. It's like I just want to be the best I can be at building a life where I have full mobility, full flexibility, and I'm not stuck anywhere. I just never wanted to pigeonhole myself or be anywhere against my will. Yeah, that, that's freaking awesome. My my whole uh, mantra, I talk about it all the time, is uh, I want to write programs on the beach one day. That's the whole goal, mm-hmm. write programs on the beach, wherever I'm going, be able to set that up. So you talked about wanting con- to control that environment, wanting to create an environment in which you your internal state is at peace, your internal state is happy, your internal state is free. What does that environment look like? And I'm really interested in what does that building of that environment kind of what was that process like? Because what it looks like now for you, it, it, like you, you I, I bring a lot of people on this podcast and you can tell like who's at peace kind of right away and who is like that internal state and the way you talk, like you're talking from an internal state, you're talking from somebody that has a ton of knowledge and is just uh, almost has that inner peace. So you, you've built out an environment that allows you to do that, or you're at least in the process. Obviously you don't want to say your environment's completely set. You want to continue mm-hmm. to level that up, but you've created an environment that has allowed you to get there. 
what does that environment currently look like? What are those kind of pillars for creating that solid environment around you? And what was the process of creating that environment for maybe the people that are not at that point yet and they have to go through a lot of the pillars that you probably went through Mm -hmm. yeah you know well first and foremost it's a lot of trial and error right and that was something that was so pivotal to me is like i started really early you know a lot of times i think people don't really take the initiative until they're later on in their life later on in their career and by that time you have so many other responsibilities you have so many other things that it's hard to make those shifts then i started early on and i understood that i was taking a lot harder of a path but I genuinely felt like I had no other option but to like figure out a, an environment that was perfect for me because I'm one of those people where it's like I'm either all in or something or I can't do it at all, right? And I found this with work, I found this with school, I found this with sports. I either had to be fully invested in something and almost have this intrinsic obsession with it where it's no willpower on my end. I can't help but become obsessed with it or I can't do it at all. And you know that fortunately closed a lot of doors for me right? Because, you know, I would have a really good job. And there's multiple times where like, I got really good job opportunities. I go in for one week, and I couldn't not quit. You know, I took the dream, like the job of my dreams on paper. First week, I couldn't not quit. So I guess a lot of it was like, yeah, did I do it intuitively? Yes, but I had no other choice. Like I physically could not live in an environment that I didn't think was optimal for me. And you know, it came up with a just a, a scientific process, right, of coming up with hypotheses, And then beelining to those hypotheses of like, hmm, I think if I live in an environment with X, Y, and Z, I will feel A, B, and Z. So I beeline to that. And then I make an assessment. Like, did it, was this the thing that is going to make me feel better, make me feel content, make me feel happy and make me feel fulfilled? If it's yes, great, I made it. But most of the time it's no, but that's even better because now I have to stop thinking about that and worrying about that being, you know, the end all be all. So for me, that looked like, you know, starting very early on, working on my own businesses, working on things that would give me that sense of freedom. Um, And, you know, I had a lot of failures early on that normally people do, you know, after they graduate school. I made sure to get those done early and have those under my belt early and really shorten that failure curve for all intents and purposes that you need to go through. So by the time that I graduated, I already had so many failures under my belt. I had so many lessons to learn. But, you know, my end all be all, like you said, it was I had a very clear picture in my head when I was in high school. It's like, I don't really care about money. I don't really care about prestige or like being a socialite. Uh, Although I did think like I did enjoy those things at some point. My ideal life was me living on a beach in a foreign country, driving a motorcycle, you know, with my hair blowing, no shirt on the beach. And I go and I work for a few hours a day. And then I go and I just live in nature. I go and surf. I go and train. And I just do that. So I beeline to that and I, and I did it. Like I did everything on paper, what that's supposed to look like. And then I get there and I spend one month doing that. I'm like, well, this isn't everything. <laughs> like, this is great. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love it. Like my baseline anxiety is super low. It's just a very chill lifestyle, but I'm like, this isn't fulfilling. <laughs> so I realized that just so early on. And then that kind of gets you onto that next path of those like next goals that you're chasing. So it's an iterative process. Yeah, that, that's pretty sweet. And you just talk about one of the powers of that too, is like, it's, getting used to failure and accepting, accepting the power of it, you know, like uh, I'm reading uh, Thinking Fast and Slow right now. And when one of the things they talk about the whole time is like reframing uh, what failure is in that book and talking about how powerful that is to drive it. But it's also you talk about failing young, too, which is something that I saw classmates around me like they're so scared to fail out of college, so scared to fail in college. Like, bro, the, the, the best time you want to fail is like right now, like you have no family, you have no kids, you have no responsibilities like you, you have nothing going on. Like, why are we not like pushing the boundaries here? Like, why are you not basically eating shit for a little bit to try and like push something? And you're just taking the first kind of 
first chain that is that is offered to you because it's, it's safety in that chain but it's also going to be that kind of restrictive like jail that you're kind of putting yourself into for for no purpose other than somebody kind of told you that you should take that path yeah and you know i think that's an issue is people have feel like they have things to lose right like they're going to lose face they're going to lose reputation they're going to lose things like physical objects they're going to lose a good job I just very early on, like became completely detached from things. I knew I didn't like things growing up. You know, there's people that like things and there's people that like ideas. I was on that other side. All of my friends were like tinkering with stuff and like, you know, doing like engineering projects and stuff. And I, I couldn't give a shit. I just liked ideas and I liked experiences. So I knew that very early on. I went through a very serious minimalist phase uh, my senior year of college. I sold all my stuff. I cooked out of one wok for six months. I ate out of one bowl. I got rid of all my clothes and, you know, just to do it because every single single thing that I owned took up headspace and I wanted to free myself of that. And that gave me like this feeling of complete freedom where I have nothing to lose. And on top of that, it's like every single skill that I've acquired, I focus on them being meta skills where it's like, I have nothing to lose there too, because they're so deep down and intrinsic to me. Like I'm focusing on leadership. I'm focusing on communication. I'm focusing on storytelling. I'm focusing on these things that are going to help me out no matter what I do, as opposed to focusing on a skill, right? Like becoming a doctor, learning accounting, learning in like marketing terms, like learning complex uh, ad management tools and stuff like that. I never care, cared for the tools. So like, I have nothing to lose. At the end of the day, you know, I could lose all my money and like lose everything. And I would be back to living on a beach in a foreign country. And I still love that. Like that was my end goal. So I guess that's just that freedom thing where I always have... Like I'm always comfortable starting from a blank slate. Yeah. And and one of the things that you mentioned there that I think kind of went under the radar is you you talked about developing, like I talk about, call it like weaponizing yourself. You talk about developing the ability to speak, the, the ability to lead, the ability to do these things rather than getting a job, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the reason why I think having your ability to be able to detach from failure is also kind of that, you know, you've weaponized yourself. You yeah. know, if, if like, if you do lose a job and I and like, I feel the same way right now, it's like, if you do lose a job, if you do lose whatever it is, like you have weaponized yourself to a point in which you know you're valuable, you provide value, you can answer problems in a, whatever way that you need to do it. And mm-hmm. so like the, the it's not really a failure because you know you've, you've sharpened these points enough to be able to go basically anywhere else and apply these skills to what you want to do. That's that's such a good way of putting it. And it really is like, you know, I, I some people want to acquire things like I just I wanted to acquire skills. Right. And I, I wanted to become a weapon for all intents and purposes. And it goes back to that obsession with like the warrior culture, with martial arts and everything like that. I know, like growing up in a lot of movies, there's always, you know, that ex, you know, that ex agent, that ex spy or like that ex warrior that then, you know, was outcasted or like really down on his wits like he was out on like some random beach or like some mexican desert town and like at a bar and then he gets in some trouble and then like ends up taking on five guys or like he always finds a way like if he needs to to go and figure his stuff out when the time's there i was like i just want to get to that point like i want to be as effective as possible on all fronts to have that full i i think it comes down to autonomy too right it's like the sovereignty that you feel and the control and confidence that you feel when you know like you can handle yourself in any situation and you're not tied to any like dependence on something or someone. It's just, there's nothing that beats that feeling. And, and now we're talking about, so we were talking about mentaling, uh, weaponizing ourselves in the, in the mental aspect and weaponizing ourselves in kind of the job aspect, but something you've also done is weaponize yourself physically. And I think yeah. in, in the 
in the strength conditioning podcast and the Yoakam Strength podcast that we have, people are always interested in how do you weaponize yourself physically? And one of the quotes that I love that you said is like, you got to treat your anatomy with some respect. And you were talking about going overhead and doing arm circles and how basically you're overhead all day and working the shoulders in the 360 degrees that they're meant to work. And it just made me, I laughed out loud because I just left a baseball group where it's like, they're doing these like, they're scared to put a 20 pound dumbbell over their head and they're doing these like random band exercises to go throw a hundred mile an hour rock, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you're already throwing this stimulus a hundred <laughs> miles an hour and you're scared to put a 20 pound dumbbell over your head, but you're, you're totally just not respecting your anatomy. So kind of what are your thought processes with treat your anatomy with respect and your thought processes behind training and your philosophy there? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's the old cliche where it's like, you know, the man who likes walking is going to walk further than the man who likes the destination. But it's like a lot of people go into fitness and they go into like getting strong, getting jacked, getting like good looking for an outcome, a goal, right? Like my goal is to bench 225 pounds. My goal is to throw a 90 mile per hour fastball. My goal is to look good naked or hit 10% body fat. And then they hit those arbitrary metrics and then they're done. And throughout that entire process, they gave up so much creativity, so much intuition, so much natural progression because they confined themselves to this arbitrary goal. I've never had any goals with fitness and like, I'm really not that big of a arbitrary goal setter. Cause I know that goals only lead me so far when they're finite. I'm more focusing on like constantly improving that system and like doing it more of an intuitive manner of like, I want to be the best that I can be in this given field. Right. I, I for me, especially with the physical aspect, it's like physical physicality and mentality are directly correlated. Like they're not two different functioning like organs. Um, but like, yeah, for me, it's like, I'm not focusing on any end outcome. My goal is just to, just to become the best version of myself. And from a physical manner, you know, obviously that changes over time and you find ways to balance it, but it's like, you know, I, I want to be strong. I want to be mobile. I want to be resilient. I want to be like we were saying, fully self-dependent and be able to be resilient to those, like to my outside world, to the environment, right? And like be able to put myself in situations that I otherwise wouldn't be able to because I focused that time on building myself physically, right? And that comes down to like a lot of martial arts as well, which I think is really important. Yeah. And I was, I was going to mention that earlier too. It's like every, every kind of out there guest that we've had, it always has the martial arts background. Every guest that is in these rabbit holes and is like approaching fitness from this lens, almost every time has a martial, like that martial arts rabbit hole to be able to see things from kind of that outside perspective and perspective on, like you said, improving the system and constantly improving the the whole system. So you have a lot of guests listening right now that are, or listeners that are on listening to the podcast that are wondering like, how, how do you do that? Because you, you, you were kind of told a lot of lies of um, you can only get big, you're only going to get strong, uh, only do this, only do that, kind of pushing people towards the goal of if you want to throw 100 miles an hour, that's all you can do. And you kind of create, especially in, in America, it's like these super specialized athletes that are so pinpointed and so specialized to like one tiny aspect of performance. And they're just missing all of the low hanging fruit around them and all of the ability to develop around them. How do you go about doing that? Like what's kind of your approach to hitting all of these aspects and leveling up the system kind of holistically? Yeah. So from an objective standpoint, if I wanted to become the best at something, I'd commit a lot of my time to just doing that. But you probably know, if you look at some of the best athletes in the world, they were oftentimes multi-sport athletes. They also played violin. You know, Lomachenko, one of the best boxers ever, he was doing ballet when he was a kid. He was doing all these different sports. And that's what contributed to him being so effective. We also find it in the professional world. A lot of times the people who are best in their field with the most unique ideas, with the most interesting frameworks, 
did that because they didn't confine themselves to that field. They didn't confine themselves to being a specialist. They excelled at connecting nonlinear thoughts and nonlinear ideas. And, you know, just through self-awareness, I understood that's how I operated. I didn't work well being confined in one vertical. I, I just couldn't like, you know, I'd lock up. I worked well when I had multiple stimuli, multiple goals, multiple paths that I was going down at the same time. So for me, I don't want to be in the top 1% of anything. Like, I think if there's one thing I want to be in the top 1% of. It's like, I, actually nothing. I, I want to create a field of my own. So I'd rather be in the top 5% of a handful of categories that all, you know, help one another and, you know, just become this total and like specimen for lack of a better term, this, this total organism. And, you know, what that looks like for me is getting obsessed with something for a small period of time and really focusing a lot of my priority on it, not completely neglecting everything else, but having a very distinct priority, getting that to a level of exceptionalism. And then once I'm at that point where I start seeing the diminishing returns on the time that I put in, and I really push myself uh, you know, into that upper echelon of, of abilities, then I'll taper it down and I'll put it back to maintenance mode. And then I'll go and I'll start a new rabbit hole. And what I find that does more importantly than anything is it keeps me stimulated and it keeps me interested in the fitness journey. That's like the issue that people think it's like they're doing these arbitrary goals. They're pigeonholing themselves in this one way of training and then they burn out and then they have to use discipline and that discipline just yields more burnout. I never use discipline with training because I'm doing all this as an exploratory intuitive process. When I get bored of a training style, I'll just switch it up. I have no end goal. I don't care about competing on a, like a, a stand. I don't care about hitting, you know, 600 pound squat in a, you know, weightlifting competition. I'm just here to explore this process. And in through that, I usually end up hitting like really big landmarks, I guess I would say, in these certain goals and in these certain areas. But I just, I have no goals with my fitness. I, my goal is to just do this as long as I can and feel as good as I can and really just chase mastery. Yeah, that that's fucking awesome right there, man. That 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 is so sweet. And it's you like letting the obsession drive. And I I talk about this all the time. Like if you want to get really, really good at something, like the only way to do that is to absolutely love what you're doing and be obsessed with it for 10 years, you know? And you have to do mm -hmm. it for 10 years. You said like the, the let trying to force like yourself to like discipline yourself into into doing something. It's like you're gonna burn out and you're never gonna be the best. And that's where you're like, you talk about like the coach will say, well, he has no focus. Like he, he's not focused on anything specifically. I'm like, I promise you, it, like if you look at Noah's page, like he, he's he's going to be more physically fit than almost all of your athletes. And all of it is, is like he doesn't have the specific goal, but he can step into any domain and go crush something because you've let that obsession drive. And it consistently allows you to train, which is another big piece. It's like these none of these athletes are consistently training because they, they don't love it they're not obsessed with what they're doing and they're forced into this one thing and of course like yeah. like you said they get to a point where it's just like what bro what the fuck and going back to the range aspect that you mentioned too it's like seeing things from a different perspective or really giving that giving your athlete the ability to have that non-linear exponential growth aspect which is like something i see all the time with athletes you see these athletes that are just kind of forced down this like collegiate strength conditioning hole of where they're doing the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. There's low hanging fruit all over, but they're just grinding into the same thing. And for them to get the gains of just grabbing something that they could just grab something to the right or left of them, but they keep banging their head against the wall because their college coach tells them to. And what they do when they come to us is we just have them explore something else. Maybe it's gymnastics, maybe it's climbing. And you see this like 
breakthrough like this they're, they're taking a little bit of focus off of the goal they're adding that range and they're able to kind of dabble in that exponential growth aspect that is there because they're able to grab into a different aspect maybe for a lot of athletes if we expose them to a different like movement problem they were able to solve their old movement problem in a way in which they didn't see you see that a lot with baseball athletes when you just have them throw with different variations on the ball or grab the ball a different way um but Rather than forcing our, our, our trying to bang our head against the wall, we're kind of entering into that exponential growth, that nonlinear growth. And all it is really is just taking a step back and finding that love for something again and letting that obsession drive. That's such a big one, right? And we see it so many times with people who specialize. They get burnt out, right? They have to go six months without training because they just, they, they burnt themselves short. They get these muscular imbalances. They get these overtraining injuries. I never do. I honestly have not skipped a week of doing physical exercise since I started training when I was 13, because I all like, I always love it. There's always something new to do. It's like, maybe I'm not feeling like lifting today. That's fine. I'm just going to get really good at like open ocean swimming. So I'm going to just see like, how long can I go out in the ocean and just swim? Right. It's completely different. And then I come out of it like a new, like a new animal. Like I, I just, ch it changes your strength profile. It changes your biological profile. And I think more importantly, going past just the physical aspect of things, like the way that we keep our brains healthy. And that's a big thing for me because I've had so many concussions from skiing, from martial arts, from being an idiot, all of these things is like exposing yourself to novel environments, forcing yourself to learn new things. And a lot of that is like the physical aspect, right? Like the balancing, the, the new incorporation of your nervous system and of like muscular activation. And it's just dude, I'm just, I'm, I'm obsessed with the growth curve and it just keeps me so, I guess alive, like that, that newness, that novelty just keeps me alive. And there's an unlimited number of terrains that you can explore just in the fitness world alone. It's like, hmm, this month I'm going to do CrossFit this month. I'm going to do Olympic weightlifting this month. I'm going to do calisthenics this month. I'm going to do yoga nidra this month. I'm going to do strictly mobility. Like you could never get bored. It's like a candy shop. You're like, a, I'm literally like a kid in a candy shop when it comes to that fitness stuff. Yeah. And you can expand that out again. It's like that play aspect. And that's one thing I talk to my athletes all the time. I really try to emphasize that play and variety and aspects. And I'm like, what we're trying to do is like get you to see life that way too, which I know you see, but it's like, okay, you see all these options. Like you just listed like 17 different options for fitness. And like, that's one specific aspect of fitness, you know, like now go apply that to your life, go see things differently in life, go explore and play in life. And like, when you read the book range or you, you, you look at some of the highest performers, it's just seeing problems from different lights and seeing like having that entrepreneurship, like kind of mindset of I'm going to solve that problem. I'm going to see it in this different light is going to, again, give you that exponential growth rather than trying to like climb the ladder per se, which is like, you're going to just keep grinding your head into the ground. I love that you bring up the book range. That was the one that reaffirmed this internal belief that I had, but I was being told no by my entire surrounding, you know, going into school and especially in college, they're like, you need to specialize. Like if you want to make money, you have to specialize. You need to figure out one thing and get the best at it. And I'm like, that sucks. Like, that's not how I operate. That's not how I work best. That's not where I'm going to thrive and reach my potential. And that was my biggest fear was not reaching my potential. It just terrified me. And that book really just gave me this sense of, okay, cool. Maybe this is an option. Like maybe being a generalist is not a bad thing. And I just was like, I'm going to specialize in being a generalist. Like I'm going to specialize in the skills that apply to me on all fronts, right? Like rapid learning, skill acquisition, me like meta skills, right? And I talk about it quite a bit of like these meta skills that'll apply to me no matter what I'm doing. And the freedom that it's given me, even though it was a lot more difficult in the beginning, even though I had people that were specializing and they were making more money than me, they had better jobs than me. I was playing the long game and I'm just, you know, I'm so glad I did.
Yeah. And the, the only thing you need to specialize in is yourself. You know, like the only mm-hmm. thing you need to specialize in is yourself and developing that. One of the things that you mentioned there was, was that skill acquisition piece. And that's something that I think is I, super valuable, obviously in life, but also in sports specifically. And this is something where I don't know if it's it's my surrounding and that's it's the bias of my surrounding is getting me, okay, hopefully the field going a little bit more into the world of skill acquisition and the ability to develop skills, or if hopefully the whole field is actually shifting. But that's something that I see is like the number one thing that you can do for your athlete. Like, are they able to solve the movement problem in front of you? And do they have the skills? And are they able to learn the skills? I always talk about like trying to create learners and lovers of skill, um, learners and lover of the ability to learn skills, you know, like learn movement problems. Can you do that? What is kind of your approach to emphasizing that to to work on the ability to pick up skills and create an athlete that is able to do that or create a human that is able to do that or just personally able to do that yeah so skill acquisition is a skill right that's why people who are really good at learning languages you know they learn one language and they're like well i might as well learn three more because it's the same exact process it's the same exact procedure that's the same with really everything so i think first important first and foremost you're going to be more likely to be good at skill acquisition and exploring new domains if you're pretty high on openness, like on the personality uh, spectrum. And like, for me, I am. Um, so I'm very open to like new ideas, new ways of doing things, almost to a fault where like, I'll find something that's working and I'll be doing it. I'll just get bored. I'll, I'll have to find another way to do it. Um, sometimes to like detriment. But I really think it's about understanding that you're not going to be good at this thing, but you have experiences in the past that you can apply and you can relay to this new thing. So what is the most effective way to take your personal unique experiences and apply them to this new skill so you don't feel like you're starting from scratch? For me, when I was getting into martial arts, I didn't have any martial arts training, but I knew that I had a really intuitive sense of like when I would grapple like with friends and stuff and when I wrestled when I was younger. And I was like, okay, cool. Like These guys are probably going to shit on me. They're probably going to beat me up. I'm probably going to be humiliated. What am I good at? What like do I have? And how can I leverage that most effectively when learning this new skill? And for me, it was like, I've been training for a super long time of like, um, like traditional, like bodybuilding, lame workout, not lame workouts, but like monotonous, uh, hypertrophy based workouts. I'm like, cool. Like that's probably not going to be that helpful, but it will give me muscle endurance. So that means I can probably tire people out more by focusing on isometrics. So like, even before I started training, I was just like finding ways to relay my existing experience to this. Um, but I think the most important thing is understanding that like the hardest part of skill acquisition is getting over that first hump where everything's new, where everything's novel, where nothing is familiar, but knowing that if you just stick with it for a week to two weeks, you're going to start getting that traction on that growth curve. And for me, like I said, I'm addicted to that growth curve. I'm a, I'm addicted to that exponential growth that happens like week three of learning something new, both physically and mentally. So sticking with it through that and um, just letting, you know, the dopamine take you after that. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's something that's awesome when we, we talk about all the time. You mentioned that you're high on the openness scale. And I'm also every single time I take one of the tests, I'm on like the highest level that you can yeah, get for openness. I'm off the charts. Yeah, same. Have you ever dealt with somebody that is not high in the openness scale or is is not kind of on our, our wavelength there that you kind of want to push to be more open? Have you gone through the process of working with somebody like that or maybe some advice for somebody that doesn't feel as open to to new ideas like that, but they probably need to be to kind of push the boundaries there. You know, that's a tough one. Um, I haven't really, you know, I work, I, I know a lot of people that are not high on openness and it's great, right? Because they have a very distinct worldview that works really well. They're extremely linear. 
And I need that to balance out. So when I'm working on projects, when I'm working on my businesses, I seek those people out because they're who I need to keep me on track. So I, honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, would would it make sense for the, me to like try to push them on the openness scale? Yeah, but I would also just like to leverage them for their strengths and their innate abilities because that's a deficit in my area. So it's like, you know, two halves make a whole. But I think the way that I've done that before is like, how can I guide them down that path of being open to a new experience by making it more linear, by empathizing with their existing worldview and showing them that, you know, maybe it could be an opportunity based off of the way that they operate. That happens usually on an individual level. But honestly, for me, it's like, there, it's 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 an effective tool and it's an effective person to be around that has a very distinct worldview that may not be that open. Yeah, no, that that that's amazing. I, I always talk about how I have a couple strength coaches in my circle that are the, well, some of the most linear people I've met, like linear analytical people I've ever met. And everybody's like, how do you get along? Like, how does that work? I'm like, those are my best people. Like everything they say, mm-hmm. I need to listen to because it's such a different like my brain can go off in 19, like 40 different ideas, just bang, 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 bang. They're like, okay, like we're going to funnel this into something. And like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like the, the uh, different ability is is super helpful. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's one of those things that I learned early on in like starting businesses when I was young and really failing a bunch was like, man, I'm surrounding myself with people that think exactly like me that have the same tendencies as I do. And no wonder we're stepping on each other's toes. No wonder we're failing. No wonder we have deficits. So learning where you're like just having the self-awareness of like, this is where I fall short and this is what I need. I'm so clear on who I need to work with now that like one of my best things is recruiting. Like it is bringing people on board and finding a way to align under a shared mission, right? Our why is the same, but the what is completely different. And the way that I like verbalize it a lot when I'm working with people, it's like, listen, I will lay down the train tracks. I'll even design the engine, but I need you to be riding the caboose, right? So I just like decide where the train tracks go. That's where you need the openness. What direction are we going? Are there any roadblocks that we might identify? How can we make this road as efficient as possible? And then having someone that's like, I'm going to drive this super, super hard. Having that dichotomy is so powerful and uh, it's important. Like you, as much as I like the autonomy thing and doing everything myself, like you need people that complement your skill sets and, you know, make up for your deficits because we all have them, you know, you have to be a narcissist to think you don't. Yeah. And, and the, the self-awareness piece is huge there too. Cause that, that was big for me too. It's like, I have all these ideas and I'm like, holy shit, like it really needs somebody to like drill this down into something. Um, And like, my big thing is like, that's why I have to like force myself. Like I love big projects like that. Cause it's also a constrains yourself into like forcing your brain into something like that. That's something I found super effective is like my open brain will have, 40 million ideas and okay i gotta maybe maybe i'm presenting maybe i'm building something out uh maybe it's an ebook or something along those lines but constrain yourself to one specific idea so you have to think a little bit more linearly with your open brain has been super helpful in that thought process too constraints breed creativity right like when you have those boundaries where it's like i'm only thinking within this area like that creative that creative energy that would otherwise be like oh i'm gonna go try you know learning how to paraglide for the week like, oh, I'm going to go try to build this business doing like regenerative reef or rege- regenerative beef delivery service. Like that same creative energy gets funneled into that area. So that's one thing I've really been focusing on, especially this year. It's like, how can I take all this creative energy and focus it on key areas of my life? And that takes the discipline. That takes the structure. For me, that takes the accountability from my more linear counterparts that are going to keep me accountable and hold me to funneling that energy into there. And is that is that your thought process? Is that the the main thought process? Because you talked about that that being your goal this year is to funnel that. Is there is there any other pieces there for the the open minds listening that are struggling to do that? 
you have to understand your why. And for me, it's just about like 80, 20, right? What are the 20% of things that are going to yield 80% of the results for me? And it took me a while to build that horizon and be very clear about where do I want to be? I've never been good at that. I've never been good at that at all. Like I said, I don't set, I don't really set goals. I just set like desires. And how do I want to be today? How do I want to be tomorrow? But, you know, I think now I'm just getting to the point. Maybe it's because my frontal lobe is finally developing after all these years. <laughs> but I have a bigger horizon. I, I can see into the future and I can see where I want to be. And I can make a rational decision on this is where I need to allocate my time to make that happen. So, you know, I, mean, I tried doing that for so long and it never worked. And then all of a sudden this year it clicked. Like 2023, I'm like, you know, this is the year I'm focusing on this, this and this. Uh, nothing else. You know, I'm going to be sacrificing opportunities, which is like the biggest thing I hate to do. I'm going to learn to say no better which I've actually gotten good at over the years, but I just took it to a whole nother level. Yeah, th that's pretty awesome. That I felt that this past this past year when everything's been taken off, I'm like, I am now saying no to opportunities that I would have begged for like four years yeah. ago. And like the yeah. process of like, in my brain, like making that make sense. Like, fuck, dude, I really want to, like, I would have said four years ago, if I would ever had somebody ever asked me on the podcast, has somebody ever asked me to do that? Like, but now it's like you said, it's like, that power of no and like okay like setting out what do you want to do this year and you can't say yes to anything else otherwise you're, you're not going to get those things done yeah isn't that crazy i i had the same exact thought the other day it's like wow i just turned down an offer that you know me from two years ago would be peeing my pants over like uh, like back to back it's like oh my god and that's something you have to realize is as you start gaining traction as you start seeing small minute pieces of success the number of doors that open are ridiculous. So you need to hone your skill of saying no. It, it, like it, it has to be a hell yes or an or a no. And like I'd rather hold off. I'd rather hold off now on not taking these easy lobs, these low hanging fruits, and wait for that perfect thing. Because once again, like my worst fear is getting pigeonholed, getting stuck in a project that I can't leave, getting stuck in a lease that I can't leave. You know that's why I never rent somewhere for longer than a month because I've been in that situation where I rented for three months. I'm like, well, I want to leave now. Like, I know I'm stuck here. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something that you really have to learn. And um, it's such a good feeling, though. Like you look back, and like, man, I'm, I'm saying no to things that I would have cut off my left arm for two years ago. And then that, that's what happens when you kind of specialize in, in yourself and specialize in weaponize yourself, which is kind of cool. But one of the things that you mentioned being your goal this year was the hypertrophy train. And you said, you listed all these things where you're like 2023 i want to get like big i want to i want to focus on hypertrophy what has that kind of mission been like for you recently like recently and it will that be a full 2023 thing or is that going to be uh for a couple months until you get sick of it what's kind of your thought process there with the hypertrophy train you know it's so funny because i literally said that and now i'm off the hypertrophy chain um <laughs> the reason for that is a new environment right because the like the the access to equipment that i had when i made that decision and i was doing it for a month because like I don't know. Like I said, even if I have a good thing going, I always have to experiment. But like at the time being, it's like, man, like I really looking back at photos, like I know I could put on more muscle mass than I have right now. I know I can look a little bit more aesthetic, have better proportions in certain areas, but I'm just not training it effectively. And I really only need three sessions a week, 45 minute sessions of focused hypertrophy work. Um, I've been getting too caught up in mobility. I've been getting too caught up in like doing sprints down a beach naked and stuff like that. And like all that crazy <laughs> shit. So I was like, why don't I just like go and like see how much growth I can make? Because I've already gotten like pretty big in the past. And once you put on that muscle, it's so easy to gain it back. Like for me, it's like I sneeze and I put that muscle back on. So I started training uh, hypertrophy again. And like I got, I got some really good results, just like in certain areas where it's like, wow, like my triceps just blew up, my biceps just blew up. Things I normally don't train when I'm doing functional training. I'm like, okay, cool. I like this. Maybe I'll stick with this. 
And then, you know, I come down here to Texas to meet up with some business partners and they have like a very functional training gym. They do a lot of like functional stuff where we're doing like sled workouts. We're doing like circuits and stuff. And like, we're doing all this functional straight stuff. So for me, like being really susceptible to my environment, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm just going to train this. So it's probably gonna look like I'm going to be here training that for a month. And then I'll go back. And honestly, like, it's really going to depend on where I'm at, at the moment. What is my gym situation look like? What does my environment look like? And that's probably going to discern how I train. But nonetheless, I am going to be prioritizing at least two days of focused hypertrophy work still. So even if it's not a hundred percent priority, it's still going to be up. Like if, if this is baseline of maintenance, I'm still going to be like here to at like the 50 or 45% focus area. And then like, it's probably just going to be some other ratio of other things. So I, I really want to dive into kind of the supplements and, and the specifics that you talk about and, and, and kind of your, your, your program and how you go about that. Uh, and I think hypertrophy would be a good thing to cling on to just because we're talking about it. What specifically would a hypertrophy, if you were still training for hypertrophy, what would that look like for you? What would those, you said 45 minute training sessions, the three, the three sessions a week, what are you, uh, what supplements are you working with there? What's your <laughs> diet looking like there? Like what's kind of, yeah. what's kind of that process look like just to, just to cling on to something specific and I'll, I'll kind of take it different places. But that's something I really want to talk to you about is you, you have this freaking massive wealth of knowledge and all these things that I was like, some of them, I'm like, bro, I've never even heard of that. And you're talking about like, it's a game changer. Like, damn, like I need to get in this train. So what would that look like for hypertrophy and what kind of grab and go from there? Yeah. So, I mean, to preface all of that, I am very interested in supplements. Like I work with mainly supplement brands because I think they're just so interesting and they're such a great way to tell a story. And that's really what I'm interested in. People want the easy out. People want the easy answer. So they're going to fall and they're going to like climb or like cling to supplements. Cause it's like, why would I work out when a pill can solve it for me? So if you get them in the door and you build trust with the supplement, then you can start telling them about the other aspects that they can focus on of a healthy lifestyle to improve their health and further improve that trust and build that client consumer relationship, you know, because it's a lot harder to monetize telling someone to like eat clean and live healthy. Um, but anyway, that aside, like for me, because I've gone through all of these cycles before and I've really done that learning curve and that skill acquisition. Now it's just intuitive. I just like go back to what I did back then when I learned, but I guess for hypertrophy, for example, I eat pretty animal-based. So a lot of that's like very, a lot of fat and that's great. Like uh, that cholesterol and saturated fat is great for my hormones. It's great for how I feel. It's great for my cognitive function. But you know, now I'm like trying to increase my metabolic rate. I'm trying to give myself a very anabolic state. And I think with that, for me, it's looking like I'm upping my leaner proteins. I'm upping my carbohydrates significantly to give me that fuel to have these super powered workouts and have optimal recovery. Because I noticed for me, it's like, I have a tendency to overtrain, right? Cause I want to train, you know, every single day, I want to do martial arts. I want to do functional training. I want to do mobility. I want to do like really intense physical exercise. But if I'm going for hypertrophy, maybe I'm going to cut that down a little bit, right? I'm lowering my frequency because I know I need to recover more. And it's counterintuitive, but I grow so much bigger when I train three times a week versus five times a week. So I have that in mind and I remember what my goal is. In terms of the exercise themselves, I'm doing more focused work. My objective here is not to like explore these movements, explore these patterns like most of my training is, or like some sort of central nervous system activation, which happens anyway. For me, it's like, I'm trying to fatigue these particular muscles to failure within a reasonable amount of reps and sets that I can properly recover from, right? At this certain cadence. So I have a certain recovery period so that I can then hit them again in X number of days. So I guess for me, it's just like being 
honestly, like when I'm focusing on hypertrophy, that just means I'm being more laid back with my training. Like I'm not going as crazy in the gym. I'm not doing two hour sessions. I'm doing 45 minutes to an hour of targeted muscle groups, a push, a pull, a leg, and letting myself recover, creating an environment that's very optimal for muscle growth, keeping my stress and my cortisol low, you know, both through lifestyle interventions as well. And like actually the lifestyle interventions are the biggest thing. So like if I'm optimizing for muscle growth, I'm not going to be doing fasting like I usually do because I'm not trying to spike my cortisol. I'm trying to keep that anabolic state. Um, in terms of that uh, as well, it's like still optimizing for I guess, you know, we talk about like hormone profiles. So like keeping my fat at an adequate level, but not overdoing it to the point where I'm sacrificing, you know, body composition. And then with supplements, like, honestly, I really don't care that much about supplements. Like I've been taking collagen peptides, but that's primarily for my joints um, and for like some other things. I just think it's important to balance like that collagen protein, the traditional amino acid profile you get from like high protein foods. Um, but anyway, sorry, I just ranted a bunch, but that's, I guess like that kind of goes to where my mindset is with all of this. I don't really, I can't think of it and explain it linearly because it's just like how I think when I'm going through any of these scenarios, it's just in the back of my head. So like when I go in the kitchen, it's in the back of the head. It's like hypertrophy is the goal. Like you remember what's important with hypertrophy, use that to discern this meal and this meal only. And I go in the gym and like hypertrophy is your goal. Remember like what you need to do for hypertrophy. So go in and do things related to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think that just goes to show how scatterbrained it is, but it seems to work out when I, when I apply it. Yeah, no, yeah. You don't ever apologize for ranting. That That's perfect. That's, that's, I'm trying to get my whole goal of the podcast. I tell people this all the time is get them to rant onto something that they're passionate about. So that's awesome. Um, that, that's a good segue into, into the diet. So I, I want to talk to you about your diet. Um, and, and some of the aspects and it's like, I've been trying to get a nutritionist on and it's like, man, trying to find a good nutritionist is brutal. Like it's brutal. Like some of the yeah. stuff, I'm, like even in the DMS and stuff I'm seeing on social media, I'm like, man, this is, it's so tough. And I'm like, I'd rather just have as bad as, like, as appeal to authority as it is. It's like, I'd rather just have a Jack guy that's living the lifestyle than like anything yeah. else. So, I <laughs> so can you kind of dive into what, what that you'd see said is very animal based and what, what kind of your pillars to nutrition are? And then where you feel like we're really messing that up in, in the world of maybe just general fitness and, and specifically athletics, if you can go there. Um, but where you really think we're kind of messing that aspect up in the, in the world of nutrition, oh. because some of the information there is so bad. Man, that's such a deep question. You know, there's so many ways to answer that. And there's so, it's so multifactorial. So honing in on one would be unfair, but, you know, I'll try my best. At the end of the day, you know, the reason I believe that there's so much like it, so many issues with nutrition is that it's a very understudied realm of science. Any MD gets maybe one week of critical nutrition studies, maybe. So they have no understanding of it. And besides that, the curriculum that they're learning, you know, they learned in the 80s, right? Like most doctors probably went to school in the 80s from books that were written in the 40s, right? And we know that nutrition is changing on a biannual basis. Every six months, the literature is new, like new conclusions are being made. Last month, you know, eggs were as bad as smoking a cigarette. This month, they're considered a superfood. So it's like, it's changing so frequently. And the issue is all of the people who are experts in this nutrition field are academics, right? They're academics or they're applying this. Uh, yeah, they're applying it academically. They're not applying it clinically. They're very rarely applying it clinically. And they're so stuck in the world of theoreticals, right? That they don't actually go and they don't test it on themselves. They don't apply it themselves. And I don't think they have the empathy to actually take in all considerations of maybe it's not a one cook answer, right? Maybe there's multiple factors here. 
And so well, the way that I see it is like, I'm going to continue to experiment. I understand that I'm unique and I understand that there is no proper diet. There's no correct diet. There's only frameworks that can get us to a certain point to make our own decisions about it. So, you know, what that looks like for me is I spent a lot of time researching, you know, how we evolved from a gastrointestinal standpoint, right? Like what did we evolve to consume? And I just dug super deep into that and understanding that we really haven't had any major significant evolutionary adaptations in our digestive system for the last 50,000 years. So that's framework number one. I know beyond reasonable doubt that our diet has evolved in the presence of certain foods and in not in the presence of other foods. We did not evolve in the presence of, you know, highly processed, refined grains, carbohydrates, processed sugars, right? A lot of these additives. So maybe that's a reason for me to avoid those if I want to keep it simple. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I've tried all the diets. I really have. You know, I've even gone vegetarian. I've done full carnivore. I've gone keto. I've gone high carb. I've gone low carb. I've gone eat Jimmy John's every day for three <laughs> months. And like, you know, they're all different. I felt different on every single one of them. And the only thing that I realized, because every time I started one of those diets, I'm like, man, this is the diet. I found it. This is the one. Even the Jimmy John's one? That that one for sure. That was the one where I'm like, this is it, man. This is all <laughs> I need to survive. I swear. Um, and then I like started um cycling that with with Jersey Mike's. And that's really when it when it took off. But um, no, like you realize that there is no perfect diet. And for me, I just started hitting points of diminishing returns with every single diet. So I was like, okay, cool. The only constant is change. And I know that I operate best if I cycle my diet. You know, I'll go a whole month without eating a vegetable. And then I'll go an entire month without eating red meat. And then I'll go an entire month without eating chicken or maybe eating way higher fat, maybe one week, super low fat, really high carbs. So I just am constantly experimenting and I'm really just going off of field right? I'm literally just going off the field. And a lot of times I'm parlaying that with my goals at the time. So maybe it's like, I don't really care that much about looking like I'm shredded to the gills, like really high hypertrophy. Maybe my goal is to just optimize my hormone profile, right? So I'm going to create an environment conducive to getting my testosterone as high as possible, to balancing out my estrogen, to balancing out my prolactin, right? To like balancing out my DHT and maxing out those certain hormones. So it's just constant experimentation and just staying true to those frameworks that I know beyond a reasonable doubt to be true eat how we're evolutionary evolved to eat, maybe dig into your actual unique biology and understand like, cool, like, you know, my ancestors are literally from this region. What were they eating for the last 200,000 years? Because we know there were selective adaptations there where the people that were able to eat certain foods survived and they pass on those genes to have the propensity to eat those foods. So those are all factorial. Um, but yeah, no, at this point, you know, it's entirely intuitive. I could like, if someone asked me like, what should I eat and what should I not eat? I'd probably list some of those out, but um, I don't know, just experimenting constantly. And I guess the most important part is like not becoming ideological about your diet, right? Don't go around saying, Ooh, I'm carnivore. Or like, Ooh, I'm vegan. Because now you can get to a point where you're going to have this cognitive dissonance. When you come to new information that may say that diet's not best for you in this situation, it's not best for everybody, but your identity is so tied to it disbanding that diet would be like disbanding part of yourself. And that's just so unhealthy. And that's the worst thing you can do. Same with training, right? Like when people say like their entire identity for you, for example, like you probably see this when they're, when, they're, when their entire identity is that they're a football player and then they get a career ending injury and they're no longer a football player, they go in shambles, right? Their entire identity is gone. They lose their self of work, their, their, their sense of worth as a person, right? Because that's who they were. So you really need to take a step back and say, like, I'm obsessed with nutrition. I'm obsessed with food. It's part of my identity. 
but I don't lock in on any one given field. I'm just obsessed with the idea of sustenance, right? The idea of like optimizing our biology. And that enables me to have so much flexibility and freedom when I change the actual like path of that. So like for an athlete, for example, like what do you like about athleticism, Austin? Like, I guess like you, cause you could very much tie your identity to the fact that like, listen, I love strength and I love strength coaching, but like extrapolate that one step further. Like, why is it that you like it? There's something deeper than just that. That's just how you apply that deeper part of your identity to something that's tangible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's freaking awesome. We, we talked about this. I think it was, um, Flynn Disney talked about basically all of your physical pursuits are just a, and he was big into the psychological world, but he was talking about how all of your physical pursuits are this underlying psychological um, thought process that's trying to make itself known. Like it's trying to make basically it's your paintbrush on the world for people to see. Um, And it's, and I talk about that all the time too. It's like one of the biggest things that drives me insane is like, uh, meatheads that talk about and I, it drives me insane because i used to be there especially in high school and college it was like <laughs> me too t- talking about the grind and talking about this it's like bro that's not the grind i got fucking so much attention for lifting heavy weights that's why i like doing it it was not mm-hmm. the grind it was everybody looked at me when i did it you know like it was like all of these things all these it's like you're good at something if you're good like that's not the grind anymore you know like people you're getting a dopamine hit from it there's nothing that gives you a dope it's not the grind so that, that part drives me insane but anyways we're getting back on topic um you talk about leveling up your biology, and you've mentioned that a couple of times. And one of the things that you you're really well known for on Twitter, and what I've been sent that people keep sending me the stuff is is a lot of the the supplement stuff that you talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a? I'm always interested in like I, I'm very in the in the general world and, and thinking of all these pillars. Do you have things and specifics that you think most people aren't taking that you think they should take or is it is it again is it still like depending on what your goals are and obviously it is depending on what your goals are but are there any pillars that you're like all right people are not taking this and people need to at least explore this or and if it's not as specific and you don't want to go specific for a blanket term which i understand too is there something that you think people should look into or at least kind of Mm -hmm. explore in the world of supplements because it again this is another field probably worse than nutrition where there's so many like false claims and like shit out there that it's like there's people are just bombarded with crap all the time specifically athletes so what's kind of your thought process there yeah i have some very strong thoughts about this because i love supplements i love supplementation it's my life it's what i commit my work to it's what i commit a lot of my time to researching because i find it incredibly interesting and it goes back to that feeling when i was a kid I have very little control or I've been told I don't have control over the way my brain works. I don't have control over the way that my physicality is. But if I can find things in the external world that I can use to manipulate those decisions and to actually achieve the goals that I want to achieve that everybody else said is impossible, all power to me. And for me, that came a lot in the form of supplements, right? Like you're telling me I can take a supplement that's going to make me smarter. It's going to make me talk more articulately. That's going to improve my memory. That's going to give me more energy at the gym. That's going to increase my bench press strength. That was crazy to me. That was so crazy that I could take this pre-workout and I would get stronger. Like I would get bigger. I take this protein powder and I get stronger. I get bigger. I take creatine and like my brain starts working better. So I guess that was really baffling to me. But, you know, people want that easy out. Like they want that easy solution of taking a pill. That's unfortunately not how the world works. Anything that's having a super strong biological function somewhere is going to have likely an unintended biological response elsewhere. An example of this is most most pharmaceuticals on the market were initially introduced for an entirely different purpose than the reason that they're advertised for now. You know, I think amphetamines uh, are like 
Adderall was initially used as a weight loss drug, right? And is a depression treatment. Now it's used for ADHD. Rogaine was initially used for heart palpitations or like some sort of heart medication. Now, and then like people started taking it and they started growing hair all over their palms and like, well, let's use this to treat male pattern baldness. So just because something looks good for you on the surface does not mean there's not drawbacks. It's always a double-edged sword. And you have to understand that no supplement is inherently good or bad. Anything has risk. The stronger it is, the higher the risk profile is. You don't want to open up Pandora's box there. You don't want to mess with it. Now, with that being said, I do believe that there are some fundamental truths that people have to be aware of and deficits in the modern world that may require super physiological supplementation. The primary one with that is obviously, or not, not obviously, um, obvi well, first of all, obviously like our environment is extremely polluted, but we have to understand that these toxic environments are constantly hindering our ability to have and perform biological functions at a cellular level. One of those biggest aspects behind detox and actual antioxidant balance is the ability to absorb nutrients. So because we're being exposed to all these toxins, right, these heavy metals, these uh, gut disrupting, in, including biome, as well as the intestinal wall disrupting compounds like glyphosate, which is in our food, um, you know, heavy metals that's in our air, unfortunately, it's in our soil, uh, our ability to absorb nutrients from our food are greatly diminished. Now that's compounded with the fact that the minerals in our soil are entirely depleted due to monocropping, due to irresponsible farming. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of regenerative agriculture. But we are not getting the same amount of minerals that we need. And we need to understand that a majority of our biological functions are driven by minerals. They're ionic. So almost every single enzyme in the body, or not every single enzyme, but like a large portion of enzymes in our body, which are responsible for cellular function, are ran and operated by minerals. And we're not getting those proper minerals in balance that they need to be, which makes us more susceptible to heavy metal toxicity. And it's a deep, dark rabbit hole. So I think the biggest thing is people are not getting enough nutrients. They're eating foods that inhibit their ability to absorb the small amounts of nutrients that they are getting, and they're not doing anything about it. So that's the place I feel comfortable with giving suggestions. Try getting more fat-soluble vitamins in your diet, vitamin A, E, K, and D. Try getting more minerals in your diet. The best way I found to get the vitamins is by having high quality plant or excuse me, animal-based products, because the plant-based products, unfortunately, are contaminated for the most part with glyphosate. Second of all, they have anti-nutrients in them, which intrinsically is going to make it more difficult for your body to absorb nutrients from other areas. And third, they're completely depleted of their minerals. So I just haven't found them to be that effective. Um, in terms of actually getting those minerals in at efficacious doses, you know, I'd suggest getting some form of trace minerals, make sure that they're actually properly sourced, make sure that they're not contaminated, but start taking more of those minerals, potentially get a, you know, mineral analysis tests are tough because a lot of times they measure it in your blood, but the minerals are not just in your blood, right? They're being, they're, they're like in all of your cells. So you're actually not getting a good measurement there. But, you know, I think that's the first thing you should look into. Additionally, you should look into obviously of taking things out before you put things in. As I mentioned, things that you take are going to deplete you of potentially master antioxidants like glutathione. They're going to deplete you of minerals. They're going to deplete you of nutrients and hinder your ability to absorb them. So if you do take a supplement, if you do start eating really healthy food, but you're still eating that shit, you know, you're just going to be pissing it out for all intents and purposes. Um, but yeah, if, if I were to suggest anything, it would be minerals and fat soluble vitamins and finding ways to get those as naturally as possible, like in the most natural forms as possible. Yeah, that that's freaking awesome. You talk about the monocropping. Um, I can't. I was looking, trying to find the name of the book, but it was um, it's basically a whole book on monocropping and um, the 
he, he was a he was a cook that was like go, trying to source his products for his restaurants that he was building out. Um, but he 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 mentioned in that the the tip go like everybody kind of talks about it, but not everybody. But oh, I've heard it a couple times where it's like the cows that were fed. Um, they're both fed the like given access to the same amount of food, but one was super mineral and uh, vitamin rich, and the other one mm-hmm. wasn't. And the the cows that were not that were fed the food that was basically empty calories, basically the American diet, uh, they yeah. just kept eating. And I think it was like 200 to 400% more they ate. Um, and basically why people are feeling unsatisfied and unfilled is because they're not, they're not consuming what they actually need to consume, which is those vitamins and minerals, which you, which you talked about, which was kind of crazy. Uh, you, you listed the, the vitamins what's, and I, and the mineral part is, is something that a lot of people kind of touch on, but they're not super, I would say a lot more people are, are more familiar with vitamins. How are, how should they go about getting these trace minerals and when, what trace minerals should they be looking for? Are we looking mm-hmm. like a, like a she legit type thing or, or how, how are they, what are they, should they uh, be diving into there? Yeah. You know, I love my Shilajit, but that's another tough one because with such a like niche product where it's ancient plant matter, most Shilajit on the market is contaminated with heavy metals and mycotoxins. So you're just going to make yourself worse. Um, you're going to make yourself depleted of those minerals due to the ionic nature of heavy metals. But in terms of looking for minerals, like, first of all, you know, try to eat more nutrient dense food in general and like, look at what that is, right? Well, it's going to look like grass fed beef, right? Organ meat, potentially bone broth, things of that matter. In terms of minerals, like getting a good trace mineral complex. So it's going to have some of those really important minerals that we're not getting at solid ratios. Obviously you have your electrolytes, you have magnesium, you have potassium, you have sodium, super important. I, I, I take so much magnesium because I'm magnesium deficient to begin with, but it makes you feel great too. Um, but yeah, trace mineral drop will have a lot of really important ones that you kind of overlook, right? Selenium, chromium, boron, iodine, all these things that we were getting abundantly in our water back in the day when we were hunter gatherers drinking from a natural spring. That's that's, that's really pulling out a lot of these minerals from the earth. Now we're having chlorinated processed tap water with none of those minerals, right? That's why mineral water is a thing. That's why true spring water from like an actual spring is so much more hydrating. Um, So I honestly, I think that like address your water quality, address your nutrient density of your foods, avoid those foods um, like the, honestly, certain vegetables. But honestly, I, the, the average Joe shouldn't worry about vegetables too much, um, but like the refined grains. Um, and definitely I'd say get magnesium and potentially potassium as well as a secondary supplement. I think it's just worthwhile in terms of what magnesium to get. I personally take a chelated version and a non-chelated version. So it'd be like magnesium glycinate, and magnesium citrate are my two go-tos um, just to get like maximum absorption. Yeah. The, the magnesium glycinate, that stuff is fucking crazy, man. That, that, crazy. The best sleep. Are you taking it? Are you doing the, taking it throughout the day or are you taking it before you sleep? I take it before I sleep. Okay. And I find that it triples my deep sleep. So it's I crazy. have a, like I unfortunately just from like a genetic predisposition, I get a very small amount of deep sleep every night. So my average deep sleep is about 4% of my overall night sleep. That's not good at all. Um, when I take magnesium glycinate, I'm able to bump that number up to 14%, which is crazy. I mean, that is an exponential improvement in the most important area and zone of sleep, which is deep sleep. So I'll take magnesium glycinate at night. I will also take magnesium. If I'm taking a vitamin D supplement, if I'm in an area where I'm not getting really high level of sun exposure, I will take a vitamin D supplement and I'll take magnesium with that vitamin D supplement to help the absorption. 
of the vitamin D. Throughout the day, I'm usually taking magnesium citrate. I, I, I go to the sauna a lot. I do a lot of sauna. So that's when I'm having my electrolyte blend there that I make my own, you know, potassium. I, I use potassium chloride and potassium gluconate sometimes, but that's really not important. Just get LMNT. I think that's a really easy one. I don't have any affiliation with them, but they're so convenient and they're actually quality ingredients. Um, but yeah, magnesium, magnesium glycinate, like you could take just that and be pretty good. Yeah, that, that's right. I take uh, magnesium and then L-theanine before bed and some of the, like, it's like inception, like dreams. So like, it's, it's pretty crazy. And it's it before, crazy. and it went from, I had never have dreams ever until taking that. And I'm like, what in the fuck did I just like, what just went through my body right now? Yeah. You know, it's so important because you dream when you're in REM sleep and a lot of times people don't dream because they don't go into REM sleep, you know, especially if like people are habitual uh, marijuana smokers. They inhibit their body's ability to go into REM sleep. So they're just not getting this part of restorative sleep that they need. And then they stop smoking and their dreams go crazy because their body's trying to compensate for all that lack of REM sleep. And they're just going to like this crazy level of REM sleep after that. Okay. So we talk about those kind of general trace minerals and, and the, the general ability to kind of level up. One, the, the, the final question that I want to ask you on the podcast is, is there any secret sauce for, for the elites, for somebody that's like you, that's really like, maybe you're trying to peak for something. Maybe it's a, an elite level athlete that you think they should look into. Um, maybe it's the lesser known stuff. Is there anything that you're like, okay, this is kind of secret sauce that I, that I take maybe before martial arts competition or, or anything along those lines where it's kind of like for, it's, it's not going to, for the average Joe, it's probably not going to really do much, but for somebody that's really trying to push those boundaries. And we have a, we have a lot of listeners that are kind of in that thought process. Is there anything like that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it's pageantry, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg. And for me, it's like, I don't want to use something that's going to enhance my performance if my baseline's low, cause it's just a crutch, right? It's just covering symptoms. So like my goal is to work out and not take anything. All I take before I work out is honey and coffee um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and some salt, you know? So like, I also don't like the idea of blasting something, uh, like that's just going to really be excitatory on like any certain biological function. Cause it's going to desensitize it. It's going to inhibit the natural baseline function. So my goal is always to increase my baseline to improve my functioning at a cellular level on a daily basis. So I don't need those crutches, but you know, I still love exploring some of those things. Some of the things that I found really effective for athletic performance and overall, uh, I guess, strength and hormone profile was obviously the Shilajit. The Shilajit has really done wonders for me when I get it from like a really quality source and I make sure that there's no toxins in it. Um, I find the mineral balancing that it causes is incredible. It's very androgenic. So I do find a pretty significant effect on my testosterone. It's crazy. Like the energy that I get is just out of this world. I've had really good success with L-carnitine. L-carnitine, it's an amino acid. It improves androgen receptor sensitivity. So it's, it's just going to be very pro-hormone and pro androgen and androgen is like, that's what you want. That's like what gets you hyped up. That's what gets you muscular. That's what, that's what gets you, you know, like when dudes are all jacked up when they're on, on like hormone replacement, it's usually because of that androgen receptor sensitivity. I found good success with that. You know, there are some implications there, um, but it can, it can increase something called TMAO, which is not good for your heart uh, and like your arteries. So you want to be careful with that and do it right. You know, sometimes you take it with garlic. Um, I really have found good success with L-carnitine. Um, taurine has been really effective for me, both pre and post-workout and just throughout the day, not just for physical performance, but for cognitive performance. I've also found great success with compounding vitamin B12, a pretty solid dose of vitamin B12 with cordyceps. So the parasitic mushroom cordyceps, I found that to be great. When I go to jujitsu, I just noticed that my ability to exert fast twitch explosive movements 
over time has improved significantly. So you talk about like endurance and slow twitch, and then you talk about fast twitch, but what about the endurance of your fast twitch capabilities? How are you able to have explosive strength over an extended period of time? For me, that's one of my best skill sets. And I found that to really amplify that ability, which I found super interesting. Um, on the physical side, other things I found to be effective, everybody knows that creatine is absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, some people are going to be hyper responders to creatine. I'm a hyper responder. I hop on creatine and my bench goes up by like 35 <laughs> pounds, pounds in two weeks. You know, I, I balloon up. I become an absolute unit. Um, other people are not going to respond at all. 20% of the population doesn't respond. Other things that have been really helpful for me from a physical standpoint, um, a lot of my stuff has been more about like the, the mental stuff, right? Like improving my mitochondrial function, improving, you know, like dealing with chronic fatigue and stuff like that. And obviously that applies directly uh, to the physical aspect, but I definitely have a few others. L-citrulline, you know, when you look through a pre-workout, probably one of the best things in there is L-citrulline for its nitric oxide production and its overall blood flow inducing activity. So if you're looking for a fat pump, have some salt with L-citrulline and you're going to be absolutely just blasting out like anything. It's, it's incredible. And it's, it's relatively safe. I say relatively safe. It's, it's an amino acid. It's, it's a very safe amino acid. Um, if there's anything else that I can think of. Those are the main ones for the physical aspect. Yeah, that that that's that's a great list. Um, though I, I know I said the last question, but that got me th the way you were talking about the crutch. Are there you made it sound like there there are crutches that you think people are leaning on too much? Are, are what are some of those that you think that people are probably just blasting without even realizing they're blasting, or just way just over abusing without understanding that they're doing it? Yeah, I mean pre workout caffeine, anything that has an acute effect, right? So you're masking these underlying symptoms. Like a lot of times for me, that was my issue because I struggle with chronic fatigue from like some sicknesses that I had when I was younger. Um, and like, I just, you know, sometimes have low energy and I would mask it with like create or with caffeine, with L-theanine, with D-ribose and all this other stuff. Um, but you have to really like remove that, like dig the base symptoms, you know, a common one for people who are looking to improve performance is they'll take these pretty serious nootropics, right? Like, um, like obviously like these aren't nootropics, but like people will take Adderall, right. To mask the symptoms of like poor dopaminergic function. And then because it's so powerful, because it's so excitatory, it's actually going to end up destroying those dopamine receptors and increase your, like worsen your symptoms long-term. Same thing with things like modafinil, uh, which is like a wakefulness agent that people abuse. And, you know, there's just like a lot, it's very easy to find something that works acutely and just overuse it over and over and over again. And that's actually going to make your baseline functioning a lot of times worse long-term. Yeah. Well, boom. This is awesome. Thank you for being on, brother. Yeah, Austin. I appreciate you having me on, dude. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.